Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be back with you again. And it's great to hear about the mission um, taking place tonight and throughout the week. Trust that will go well. I'll be remembered to pray about it and uh, sure that God will bless it and we look to him to work in lives. Um, this morning, um, the Bible reading will be from 2 Samuel and it's found in chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it's a story of David and Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I read the whole chapter. This is the word of the living God. It says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. Then the king asked, is there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makkah, son of Amiel in Lodiba. So King David had him brought from Lodiba, from the house of Makkah, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father's Jonathan, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always Eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Ending there in verse 12. We're just going to sing one more hymn now um, before we uh, turn to the Word of God. And it is called, You Are My Strength. So, as we read through the Old Testament of our Bibles, Time and time again, we are met with stories that seem to capture or point forward to what God has done through saving, through Jesus, in saving a people for himself. A few examples are Joseph saving his family from the, the famine as he brought them into Egypt. And Moses is another example, saving the Israelites out of Egypt. And so is this story of King David and Mephibosheth. 
As Paul David Tripp helpfully points out, he says, this little story is meant to help us understand the dynamics of the bigger story. In other words, this short chapter of um, 13 verses, speaking of one man's kindness to another man, is really a picture of God's overall um, redemptive plan. And so how do we get to this point in, in history, in redemptive history? Well, we see in the early chapters of 1 Samuel that Israel desired a human king. And this grieved God and displeased God, but he, he listened to them. And as a result, he gave them Saul. We then see that Saul disobeys God. God told him to destroy everything that belonged to the Amalekites. And yet he saved um, livestock. And therefore, God rejects Saul and he, and he calls David. But as a result of this, Saul is, is filled with jealousy um, against David. And he decides to kill David. But Jonathan, who is the, the son of Saul... He alerts David to this, and he tells him that his father is going to kill him. And in the midst of this, as they're out there in the wilderness, they make a covenant. And Jonathan says, when you become king, make sure that you show kindness to my house and my father's house. We then see that, that Saul and Jonathan both die in battle against the Philistines. And so after King David had a few more battles and there's relative peace in the land, he then remembers his covenant that he made with Jonathan all them years ago. And this is where Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, comes in. And so as we look at this story about David's kindness towards Mephibosheth, there are a number of parallels that we can pull out from it that, that we see is the same as what God has done for us in Jesus. But as we look at this story about David's kindness, it's important to bear in mind that we're not David. Jesus is David. Jesus is the only one for whom it can be truly said, humanly speaking, that he was a man after God's own heart. Jesus is the only one who, who conquered Satan, which can be pictured through David defeating Goliath. Jesus is the only one who is reigning forevermore upon the throne of David. We're not David. We're Mephibosheth. We have nothing to offer. But because of the kindness of our great king, we have been adopted into his family and we eat at his table. And so there are three things that I want to uh, point out from this passage. Firstly, David's covenant faithfulness. Second, Mephibosheth's circumstances or condition. And the third and final thing is a life changed forever. David's covenant faithfulness, Mephibosheth's circumstances, and a life changed forever. So firstly then, the covenant faithfulness of David. As we see in our passage, David remembers his covenant with Jonathan, and he inquires as to whether there is anyone left in the house of Saul that he can show his kindness to. So he asks in verse 1, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? to which he was told there was a servant of Saul's called Ziba. And then upon summoning Ziba, he asks him the same question, and Ziba informs him that there is a son of Jonathan still alive called Mephibosheth. Now what's so significant about this is that he took the initiative. No one forced David to show the kindness he did because he was king. He did what he liked. He could have chosen to wipe out all of Saul's descendants, as was normal for kings to do to the relatives and, and, and families of previous kings and, and rivals. 
But out of his own kindness, he decided to keep the covenant with Jonathan. A long time had passed between making this covenant. David was young at the time. But even more than this, after he made the covenant, which we could say to begin with was a bit rash because he was a relative of a rival, and that was part of the old regime. But even after making this covenant, Saul, the old king, the father of Jonathan, sought to kill David. And he pursued him and he made his life a misery. And he went after him for miles and miles and days and days for a considerable amount of time. David could have thought to himself, you know what, forget what I said to Jonathan all those years ago. I wasn't even thinking straight. Look at all his father did to me. Forget it. They're my enemies. He could have pursued Saul's descendants, but instead he chooses to show kindness. And he keeps his covenant with Jonathan. And we know it's because of Jonathan, because he says in verses 1 and 7, he says, for Jonathan's sake, it was for the sake of the covenant. He wanted to show kindness to, to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake, and the covenant he made with him all those years ago. And we're going to see that David did keep this covenant, and he went over and beyond what the covenant required of him. But as we look at these co- uh, David's covenant faithfulness, we can't help but think of God's covenant faithfulness with us. The difference is God wasn't compelled by another party when making and keeping the covenant. David was compelled by Jonathan when they first made the covenant in the wilderness. But God is, just, is truly the sole initiator of any covenant he has ever made, especially when it comes to the covenant between him and saved sinners. God is faithful and he will never break his covenant. He saved us by his grace and by his grace he will lead us home. He will never break his covenant or his promise. In Armenia in the 1980s, there was a father who probably like most fathers, he promised his son that he would always be there for him. And this promise was put to the test when in 1989, there was an earthquake in Armenia which flattened the whole of Armenia, and it killed 30,000 people in four minutes. The father of the son ran to his boy's school, which is where he was at the time, and all he saw was rubble. And he ran to the boy's classroom at the back of the school, and he began to dig, and to dig, and to dig. Well-meaning parents tried to pull him away, saying they're all dead, there's no hope. Even the fire chief and the police said to him, go home because your safety is at risk. But he didn't listen, he just kept digging. And digging. And he dug for 38 hours. And in the 38th hour, he pulled back a boulder and he heard his son's cry for help. And he screamed his son's name and he, and he pulled him out alive. That father kept his promise to his son that day. But just as David keeps his promises to Jonathan and his father kept his promise to his son in the 1980s, so God keeps his promises with us. He has made a covenant with us which was secured with the very blood of his own son, Jesus. And so maybe you're here and you're doubting your salvation. Well, if you're trusting in Jesus, he will never turn you away. Jesus himself said, I will never cast out anyone who comes to me. Maybe you're doubting God's goodness to you. Because maybe something bad has happened in your life or you're going through something difficult and you're thinking, how can God be good to me? Well, the Bible says God promises that all things 
work together for good to those that love him. God has a purpose and a plan in your suffering. God loves you and he cares for you more than you will ever know. Maybe you're struggling with a particular sin and you wonder whether God has, will, has or, or will give up on you. Of course, sin is serious and we must strive against it and put it to death and repent and turn from it and seek to lead holy lives. But God is faithful and God has promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. God has promised the good work that I've begun in you, I will bring it to completion. God is a promise-keeping God. And this is a great encouragement to Christians. All that God has promised, he will bring to pass. He will keep all of his promises. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in the book of Joshua. And it says there in chapter 1, verse 45, it says, not one of the Lord's promises failed. Everything was fulfilled. God keeps his promises there, kept his promises there and he keeps them today. And as I said, this is a great encouragement for Christians. But to non-Christians, this should be a great concern. Because he has promised that there will be a day of judgment. And he's promised that sin will be punished in hell for all eternity. And he's promised only one way of escape. And that is through Jesus. And it's only by turning to him in faith and repentance. God promises if you believe in Jesus, you shall be saved. There is hope and there is mercy, but it is only found in Jesus. God is a promise-keeping God. So we've seen David's faithfulness to his covenant. Secondly then, I'd like us to consider this figure, Mephibosheth. The second point then is Mephibosheth's circumstances or or, or condition. As we see from verses uh, 3 and 12 of our passage, he was disabled and therefore he couldn't walk. Uh, We have an account of this, how this came to be early on in 2 Samuel. And we see, we're told there that when the Philistines killed Saul, and all of his sons, the nurse of Mephibosheth, she, she panicked and she grabbed Mephibosheth, who was five at the time, and she picked him up and ran and, and tried to hide him. And in doing so, she dropped him. And sadly, he was disabled in his legs. And Mephibosheth is now a man, but yet he has to be looked after and carried around. If it wasn't for the kindness of a man called Maka, whose house he lived in, he would probably be forced to beg on the streets. And in those days, being disabled carried a great stigma with it. But what's even more significant is that from the world's point of view, Mephibosheth had nothing to offer the king. But not only was he lame in his feet, which of course in those days would have been a a big thing, but as we see in verses 3 to 6, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, and therefore he was the grandson of Saul. And this means that potentially Mephibosheth was an enemy, or he could have been an enemy of David. As I mentioned earlier, if David had followed current tradition at the time, he would have wiped out all of Saul's descendants, and that included Mephibosheth. And this would explain why when Mephibosheth was brought before the king, he was scared, and and David uh, comforted him, and and he said to him, do not be afraid, in verse 7. And no doubt Mephibosheth thought thought that the, the king wanted to kill him. He's probably thought to himself, what does he want with me? I'm lame. I'm the, uh, the grandson of Saul who sought to kill him and wipe him out. What could he possibly want with me? And this is probably why Mephibosheth responds to David by saying in verse 8, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? This is how Mephibosheth saw himself before King David. But the point I want to get across as we look at Mephibosheth is that we are like 
Mephibosheth. As we look at Mephibosheth, we should see ourselves. It should be like looking into a mirror. Daryl Ralph Davies is helpful on this point when he writes, What I am saying is we are the Lord's Mephibosheths, and there is absolutely no reason why we should be eating continually at the king's table. And so how are we like Mephibosheth? Well, first of all, we all have a problem. But ours isn't physical, but it's spiritual. Before God gives us spiritual life, we are spiritually dead in our sin. And just like how it seems that that Mephibosheth had nothing to offer King David, we have nothing to offer God. All we have is our sin. That's all we have. And just like how King David had to call for Mephibosheth and he had to be carried to King David, Mephibosheth was, was powerless to come on his own. So are we, and it's only by God's grace and enabling power that we can come to him. And that's because by nature we're dead in sin and when we're cut off from God. But not only that, just like how Mephibosheth was a potential enemy of David, before we come to Jesus and are made right with God through his death upon the cross, we too are the enemies of God. That's what the Bible tells us. It says that we are the enemies of God. Think of that. Not only are we dead in our sin before we come to Jesus, not only are we separated from God, but we are indeed the enemies of God. That's what we're like outside of Jesus. Imagine that being the enemy of of Almighty God. That's who we're up against. That's who's going to judge us unless we find refuge in Jesus. We're like a filthy garment that, that stinks and we're repulsive in the king's eyes and, 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 and we cause him nothing but grief. But there is a cleaner, there is one who can restore the garment to its former glory, who can take away every stain and every smell. And of course that is Jesus. Jesus can cleanse us of our sin and make us lovely in the king's sight. But unless we come to the cleaner, we will, we will never make it into the king's wardrobe, which is heaven if you like. But instead he will loathe us and he will detest us. And there will be no other option other than him to throw us onto the fire one day. And if we haven't come to the cleaner, if we haven't come to Jesus, then we're like this filthy garment. We're detestable in the eyes of God. But yet, because of his grace and his love and his mercy, we can come to him. And if you've come to him this morning, This is what you were like before Jesus changed you forever. And now the reason we have to be clear about our condition outside of Christ is because when we truly see what we are like by nature and how terrible we are in the sight of God, it makes his final point so much sweeter. Without a right view of sin, we will never have a right view of grace. We will never see how magnificent the grace of God is. So we've seen David's faithfulness to his covenant with Jonathan. We've seen the condition of Mephibosheth. And thirdly, we come to the the, the final point, and it's a life changed forever. And I'll just read a number of verses again. It's verses 7 to 11. Don't be afraid, David said to him, to Mephibosheth, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant 
that you should notice a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for, and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at King David's table like one of the king's sons. So the first thing to notice is that David gave Mephibosheth all the land of his grandfather Saul. And now, bearing in mind that Saul was king, therefore that would have been a lot of land and a lot of property. But he gave it all to Mephibosheth. Not only does he give him land, but he gives him servants. He arranges for Ziba, who was a servant of Saul, to farm the land. Him and his sons and his servants, it was about 35 men in total. They were to farm it and bring in the crops so that Mephibosheth had food to eat. He was changed from a poor man being looked after by a kind individual to being a rich man with land and servants. All of Mephibosheth's needs were met and taken care of. But the greatest aspect of what we just read is found in verse 11. And it says, Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And this is clearly significant to the author because he repeats it four times in this chapter, in verses 7, 10, 11, and 13. So not only was he given a huge amount of land, Not only was he given servants to farm the land, but he was adopted into the king's family. And he ate at his table like one of his sons for the rest of his life. Mephibosheth, the grandson of a man who tried to kill the king, a potential enemy, now a son, adopted into the king's family. I guess a modern-day equivalent would be the Queen of England, going out into the bustling streets of London, finding a homeless man who is filthy and has all kinds of issues, and she adopts him into his family. She gives him a palace and a load of land and servants, but he has the honor of eating the finest foods at her table every day. And yet both of these examples pale in comparison to what God has done for us. The story of David and Mephibosheth is a great picture of God's grace to lost sinners. But it pales in comparison to the true thing. A photo is never the same as the real thing. And the actual reality that this story points to is far, far greater than this story even lets on. We who were once cut off from God, enemies of God, have now been adopted into his family. And we are now the children of God. Just take a, th- a second to think about it. If you're here this morning and, and you're in Jesus, you're, you're trusting in him, you've been born again, then you are a child of God. You're his son or his daughter, and you can call him father. You may have had a, a terrible father in this life or a terrible mother, but yet we have a perfect father, and he cares for you and he meets all of your needs. He protects you and he guides you, and he will safely lead you home to himself where for all eternity we will eat at his table, as it were. And it's all by his grace. He has chosen you before all eternity. He sent his son Jesus to secure your redemption by dying in your place upon the cross and by his spirit he's given you spiritual life and he's keeping you 
until he calls you home to himself. God's grace is amazing. And there's a song, and it sums it up well, what God has done for us, and it's by a band called Sovereign Grace. And it says, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste of heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. All we are are helpless Mephibosheths. We, we, We could never save ourselves. We could never earn it or deserve it. But yet God in his great love and mercy has condescended to save poor sinful wretches like us. Everything has been done. The work is finished. There is nothing we can add and nothing we can take away. All we can do is enter into what Jesus has done by believing in him for ourselves. But before I bring this sermon to a conclusion, I just want to really hone in on the point of eating at the king's table. Just as Mephibosheth ate at the king's table as one of his sons, so will we eat at God's table. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks of people coming from the the east and the west and reclining at, at the table in the kingdom of heaven. And in Revelation, it speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And now whether there will be a literal table or an illiteral supper or it's figurative language, the point is clear that we will be in the presence of God for all eternity. You may suffer now, but one day there will be no more suffering. That you may feel pain now, one day there will be no more pain. You may wrestle with sin and temptation now, but one day there will be no more sin. Though we cry now, one day, there will be no more tears. You may feel stiff and weak and frail, but one day you'll have a resurrected body, never to feel stiff again, perfect in every way. And it's all by God's amazing grace. We could never earn it or deserve it. We deserve judgment, but instead he's given us an infinitely happy future. He's given us love. We deserve wrath, but he's given us kindness. We deserve hell, but yet he's given us heaven. And the question is, I just want to ask you, is will you be there? Will you be there? Will you be in heaven? Are you trusting in Jesus? Everything I've been speaking of, is that true of you this morning? Is Jesus your refuge from the wrath to come? You must come to Jesus. He's your only hope of heaven. Please take that serious. And so in conclusion then, we've seen the faithfulness of King David to his covenant. In the same way, God is faithful to us and he keeps his covenant and he will never, ever let one of his promises fail. We have seen Mephibosheth's condition, a man who was lame and a potential enemy of David. And yet in Mephibosheth, we see ourselves Outside of Jesus, we are spiritually dead and the enemies of God. And we've seen Mephibosheth's life change forever, which of course points to the greater reality of God's grace towards lost sinners, how we can be adopted into his family, changed from an enemy to a son, and we can go to heaven when we die. And so as I finish, I'll just finish with the the quote of Dale Ralph Davies. I only quoted part of it earlier. He says, what I am saying is we are the Lord's Mephibosheths and there is absolutely no reason why we should be eating 
continually at the king's table. And this is the second half of the quote. He says, and if, there is, if we have any sense, we won't be able to understand it either. If we have a brain at all, we won't be able to understand why lost sinners like us here in Airdrie, who have sinned against God day after day, why we should one day get to heaven and we deserve hell. Yet God in his grace, in his love, and in his mercy has saved us. We'll just pray, and then we'll sing our closing hymn. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. Thank you for this story that you've preserved for us, Lord, in your word, where we see a great picture of your grace and your mercy and your kindness towards us, Lord. And I just pray for those of us that are yours, that are saved, Lord, that you help us to truly grasp your grace and to live in the light of it, Lord, to give our lives for you and to surrender all to you, Lord, and live for your glory and your praise, Father. And I pray for any here who are strangers um, to you, Lord, to your grace. I just pray, Father, that you work in them, that you draw them to yourself, and that they'll be found trusting in the Lord Jesus um, on the day of judgment, Father. I just pray for you to work in this congregation, Lord. We thank you for the mission tonight, Lord, and we commit that into your hands. We just pray, Lord, you work and speak and save, Father. We look to you to move by your spirit, Lord, in these days, and we'll be sure to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.